Hello, and welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be talking with Christopher Kearns, a vice president at Advisory Board, about what he expects in a post-COVID world. But first, my fellow HFMA editor Nick Hutt will be joining me to tell you about a recent article about cash flow that's getting a lot of attention. So, Nick, we've seen some hospitals doing things like furloughs or redeployment of staff to meet current needs, but the fact remains that revenues are going down and costs are going up. And with no indication of when elective procedures will come back and operations will return to something more like normal, some of our members are struggling as they try to figure out what to do. But we had a member reach out to us with some strategies to help. It's an article by our contributor, Lola Butcher, titled How Hospitals Can Preserve Cash Amid Rising Costs, Crashing Revenues Brought On by COVID-19. You want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. This piece looks at steps that providers can take to try to preserve cash during the ongoing crisis from the perspective of two finance leaders at smaller hospitals and also the longtime hospital executive and industry consultant whom you just mentioned by the name of Merlin Knapp. Specifically, the article looks at steps being taken to hang on to cash at Henry County Health Center in Iowa and Fort Memorial Hospital in Wisconsin. And then it provides a few strategies that all providers should consider to try to boost their cash flow, or at least to mitigate the strain that so many hospitals are feeling right now. And if you'd like to read about those strategies, you can see this and other COVID-related stories at hfma.org and click Topics, then Coronavirus. Thanks, Nick, for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Erica. Hi, I'm Joe Pfeiffer, President and CEO of HFMA. Without question, we're living in uncertain times during this COVID-19 pandemic, and the amount of information online and in your inbox must be pretty overwhelming. HFMA is helping its members make sense of it all. We've set up a special page on our website to provide members with a consolidated view of COVID-19 news coverage and its effect on healthcare finance. Visit hfma.org, click Topics, then Coronavirus. We also invite you to share your thoughts and concerns with other members in HFMA's community. Although many of us are practicing social distancing, we can lean on each other during this challenging time. This is a time to band together, and the entire HFMA staff is here to support you. In addition, I and the CEOs of ACHE, AMGA, MGMA, AAPL, and NAHQ have collaborated to sync up our resources. We're providing you the best resources we have available right now, collectively, to help you manage the evolving nature of COVID-19. We encourage you to visit the sites, and there'll be links on each other's sites on our websites, and use the information free of charge. We will be updating resources as we learn more. By working together, we will be better armed to advance the health and fulfill the missions that founded our great organizations. We're here for you. Let me end by thanking you for all that you do for your organization, for HFMA, and the healthcare industry at large. Thank you. Although COVID-19 is presenting major challenges that have healthcare organizations just trying to keep up, it's also important to consider what the industry will look like in the immediate future and planning for what's to come. 
Advisory Board has been holding weekly updates online about what its experts predict for a post-COVID world. And recently, Christopher Kearns, the company's vice president for Executive Insights, talked with me about what healthcare organizations should be doing now to prepare. It seems like every conversation that I have lately, not only at work, but just everywhere in life, has some element of planning for when things go back to normal and will normal even be normal? What are your models showing when it comes to hospitals coming back after the pandemic has passed? I think you really need to look at this from the impact of supply and demand. So when we look at getting back to normal, it's very clear that there is nothing resembling normal that we're going to be seeing for quite some time. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is there's a lot of pent-up demand right now. So there were a lot of procedures that were canceled over the last couple of months, maybe longer than that. And hospitals, health systems, physician groups are going to try their best to capture as much of that pent-up demand as possible. But they're going to be constrained by the fact that some of that demand is just going to go away. The economic ramifications of our social distancing and the recession that has resulted from it are going to depress a certain level of demand from people who have lost their jobs or people who don't want to pay any portion of their deductible because maybe a spouse lost their job. So that some of that demand is going to be destroyed. Second of all, you have to look at what is the capacity of the healthcare delivery system to capture any of that kind of demand. So do they have the ability to work nights and weekends? Many of them do not. So there's going to be a certain amount of demand that is just not able to be met in a short period of time. Then you have the simple fact that it's going to take a while for patients to become comfortable coming back to the hospital for elective procedures. Even if all hospitals in the country were to reopen tomorrow, there's going to be a certain reticence among a large portion of the population to go into a hospital right now for fear of infection. So let's talk about those elective procedures a little more, since no one is doing them right now for good reasons, but it is to the financial detriment of healthcare organizations. And according to your information, even coming back, it won't be back to the levels that it was. So what can organizations do to maximize their recovery when things get back up and running? One thing is to make sure that you have adequate capacity to handle any kind of demand. So do you have the ability to expand hours in your procedural suites, for example? So can you expand your effective capacity by 20%? And do you have the relationships with proceduralists, orthopedists, cardiovascular surgeons, oncologists, for example? Do you have the relationships to be able to offer enhanced and expanded services? This is where I think a lot of organizations are also going to need to leverage telehealth as a means of being able to manage intake for patients to be able to capture a lot of that demand. But in general, the numbers we've been hearing from a lot of providers is that they're going to want to expand their effective capacity to handle elective procedures by about 20% if possible. I'd like to touch on burnout for a moment. I'm hearing a lot of buzz about clinicians possibly leaving the field once this is over because the stress is overwhelming and that people who might once have dreamed of going into clinical work being scared away because of what they're seeing. What are the challenges here and what can we do about it? There are a number of different strategies that organizations can engage in to minimize burnout. Much of that relates to supporting staff in times of stress and times of crisis. So we've been hearing a lot about the ways in which different healthcare providers have been providing for childcare, for example, or providing for housing, providing for quarantine-related services to help minimize a lot of that burnout. And it will be key because the truth is 
we're going to need our nurses and doctors even more once this outbreak ends. Because of all of those procedures, all of those visits that were delayed, we're going to need to find a way to enhance productivity after this crisis passes, right at the point when our staff would have felt like it just went through a war. So at a time when they're going to be wanting a bit of a break, they're going to be needing to ask just as much of them, if not more, than what they experienced during this outbreak. So being able to manage burnout during the crisis is going to be critical to ensuring that you can engage your clinical staff after it's over because we're going to need them even more. Can we talk about the presidential election for a minute? I'm curious what your thoughts are about what is likely to happen over the next several months and post-election, depending on the outcome of that election, considering that healthcare is already a hot topic in this country and now we've got this pandemic on top of everything else. What are you thinking we're going to see here? I get this question a lot. And I think that most of the time the question is related to Will this lead to more or less support for government-sponsored healthcare? I think that misses the mark a little bit because while there's certainly a great deal of increased support for government involvement in managing through this pandemic, it's not necessarily clear how much impact that is going to have on government support for something such as Medicare for All or a public option. What is clear is that voters seem to prefer more government involvement in ensuring adequate supply of equipment and ICU capacity, and frankly, just the ability to manage through the crisis. There also is a lot of support, especially among clinical providers, for a lot of the deregulatory efforts that have been deployed recently to provide a lot more flexibility among hospitals and health systems to use out-of-state labor, for example, to relax a lot of licensing requirements, to relax certain types of documentation requirements. So paradoxically, I think we could see increased support for more government involvement in healthcare, but also increased support for more deregulation of healthcare. That doesn't break down cleanly by party lines right now. So I think that a lot of the conversations that political parties were hoping to have about healthcare are kind of out the window. And really, we're going to be looking at how can the government help mitigate the impacts of future pandemics. And that's made its way into the conversation in a way that we would not have expected six months ago. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask, what are you looking at now as you plan future updates? What can what can we expect to hear from advisory board over the next few weeks? The big question that we're looking at now is how do you reopen? What does that order of operations look like? So how can you bring capacity back online? How can you encourage more patient visits or procedures that might have been delayed? And frankly, how can you mitigate a lot of the challenges that will have come up from patients that just delayed screenings for quite serious conditions. So the questions we're getting from hospitals and health systems in particular are really around how do we capture that pent-up demand and how do we reopen in a safe way that also maximizes our ability to capture as much of that demand as possible. The questions are clear. The answers are not. And a lot of the work that we're going to be spending our time on is As we mentioned at the top of the segment, Advisory Board is holding weekly webinars on these and other coronavirus-related topics. They're held on Thursdays and replayed on Fridays. You can register for upcoming sessions or listen to past ones at advisory.com slash COVID-19. 
Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Please reach out to us and let us know how you're doing and what you'd like to hear about on an upcoming episode. You can look for us on social media or email us at podcast at hfma.org. My name sounded funny.